This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And good morning, and this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pilots, Pirates Save the Whales, uh, with Rob and Mob, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. And I'm Mob. And here we are, as, as per usual, in uh, beautiful uh, downtown Blackburn South. I believe if we continue to have one episode per week for the entire duration of the Shenandoah's crew, that means we're now over 10% of the way in. Wow. I think it's time for us to have a clips episode, actually. Yeah, yeah, one of those <laughs> recollection shows. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Can, you know, go back to all the great bits. We can do the monorail. We can do, you know, false beards. False beards. Yes, yes. We can do um, Lisa's dressing up as a, um, a state of America while Marge goes and um, gets her gambling problem. Although I think the problem with all of those examples is they're from The Simpsons, not actually from uh, <laughs> not actually from our show. But uh, we've had plenty of references to pop culture so far. Now, we had a, a very lucky chance last week uh, because um, the Melbourne Cup interfered with our schedule, which meant that on last Thursday, when we did the, the even-numbered sixth episode, uh, we had a couple of um, victories for the Shenandoah to report. Yes, a couple of prizes had been taken. A couple of prizes had been taken. So uh, later on, um, Michael, you're going to tell us whether any more prizes would happen, and I believe, spoilers, there's uh, a fraught incident with a rhubarb pie. There is a very fraught incident with a rhubarb pie. How, yes. how could that... Like, it could have scuppered the entire enterprise. That's all have, I'll say at this point. It could have scuppered the entire enterprise. I, yes, if there was a movie made of the Voyage of the CSS Shenandoah, the, the rhubarb pie, no doubt, would be played by, by Matthew McConaughey or somebody else. Something like that, yes. It might it might actually have needed a stunt pie, <laughs> but we'll, we'll get on to why later. <laughs> so, anyway... Um, we will uh, first of all go for our, um, our regular segment, um, errors, omissions, and attributions. And I think uh, we've got uh, mainly uh, an attribution today in that we've had a couple of uh, episodes of Crew Member of the Week, but uh, the, well, not, that's the problem with that, but um, the thing about that is that um, uh, Whittle, the executive officer, and Waddell, the captain, um, in the historical record, yeah. History tends to be written about the captain and the executive officer, so they tend yep. to be Star Trek. Yes, they, they do that, yes, don't they? Star Trek, they yeah. do that. Yeah. Yes, there's a lot about Spock. There's a lot about um, you know, Captain Kirk, but yeah, the red the the, the, the guys the, in the red shirts they just die. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Fortunately, they don't in our story. Ah, but anyway, yes, yeah. um, so uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to go through um, and have a little bit of a character study of the other officers. And uh, no doubt in the fullness of time, um, we'll be finding out more about them and about their lives. And the attribution for that is that uh, this segment is, uh, we have exactly the book for the job, but I'm doing the now traditional holding up of the source to the microphone, mm-hmm. so I hope everybody's done <coughs> that. So we're going to be using for this the Officers of the CSS Shenandoah by Angus Curry, which was published by the University Press of Florida. 
in about uh, 2006. So uh, we'll be drawing on that. Uh, now that is a, a book that's um, it's a very detailed and intensive book, and of course it's available uh, on whatever Amazonian tributary uh, you buy your books. Uh, so we'll be we'll be using that one. So without without further ado. Uh, we'll get into Dramatis Personae at the offices of the CSS Shenandoah. Now, in our earlier episode, uh, we had a crew member of the week, uh, Captain James Waddell, although it's actually Lieutenant Commanding James Waddell, and Executive Officer Whittle, who I believe was the first lieutenant. Yes, and he's the one that uh, we <coughs> we discussed had the quite glorious yes. previous yes. military career, and including the during the uh, Civil War. And uh, his um, his captain, Captain Waddell, he hasn't had quite the same glorious no, career yet. So no. he's looking for fame and glory in, in this particular one. But when you go when you go down the list of officers, now again, uh, remember in previous episodes, uh, at, at this point, or perhaps not by this point, because they've got a few more men. But at the start of the cruise, officers outnumbered men, which is not the usual way of things. And and very memorably, remember when they had to wind the capstan, yes. bring up the anchor. All the officers had to strip off their jackets and help take a turn to actually get the anchor up so they could get underway, which must have been a bit which is something that they would have written in their diaries as how they pitched in and that they would have wanted to have done never again in their lives. So one of, one of the things about the the, um, the officers of the CSS uh, Shenandoah, no, something that um, Angus Curry um, goes into a lot of detail in, in his book, is that they were extraordinarily socially well-connected. So, for instance, Lieutenant John Grimble, who was the second lieutenant, uh, he was a member of the planter class. Now, the planter class had actually a quite um, uh, simple definition, um, it, that you belonged to a family that had 20 or more slaves. And Grimball was uh, not just um, a member of a planter family, but the Grimballs were in the top 5% of slave-owning families. I think that that would sort of put them in like, they're a fully paid-up member of the 1%. That would be these days. I think not even the, the 1%, but the, 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 the 0.1%. You know, yeah. that, that, that would... Uh... I, I remember reading in The Fall of the House of Dixie, which is a, a wonderful book by Bruce Levine, and uh, that talks about these planter families. Yes. And <clears throat> it's very interesting that there were a certain number of uh, families that had a small number of slaves... And then a much smaller number of families that, say, had 20 or more slaves. And then you only had a few families above that that had the truly gigantic numbers of slaves. Yes. Yeah, that, 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 now, that, that is, a, is an amazing book, The, uh, the Fall of the House of Dixie. Except, um, not, an easy, not an easy book to read, I have to say, that one. There's a um, description in this of um, uh, a woman who'd had her yeah, three-year-old... Um, child taken away from her because of course children were, were very valuable and you know the quote from her was I can still see hear him saying mammy mammy take me with you and of course at that point when I read that I had a three year old child who used to say that to his mother pretty much every morning. Going off to childcare. Yes. <laughs> Going off to childcare so uh, yes. Yeah. Um, well you know what we'll, we'll probably talk a bit more about that book later when the house of Dixie falls but at the <laughs> moment. Uh, the house of Dixie has not fallen. Yeah. Although, it, look, it is interesting just, just to say, given that um, we're working out that uh, the 
crew members of the the officers of the Shenandoah were very very fully paid up Confederates. Is it that we have no Confederate sympathy ourselves? Can I just say, um, uh, myself and Michael, uh, Robin Mob, we are we are not sitting in uh, Melbourne, Australia, going the Confederates were 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 a, were a great bunch of people. But we do find this voyage of the CSS Shenandoah fascinating for a number of reasons. Now, coming on to well-connected Confederates, uh, the third lieutenant was Sidney Smith Lee, as in relation. So he was, in fact, the nephew of a certain Robert E. Lee. Yes. And and Robert E. Lee was, in fact, famous and successful before the Civil War. He was the commandant of West Point, um, whereas uh, Ulysses Grant, who um, ended up defeating uh, Robert E. Lee, I think came second last in his class at West Point and was a failed grocer. When the, when the Civil War started. Well, so, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so uh, Sidney Smith Lee's, uh, he came from this very illustrious family. His father was Robert E. Lee's older brother, I believe. Yep, yep. Oh, and also, I think, um, I don't have uh, his father's name to hand, but um, it might have been Sidney Senior. Um, but he'd also been the commandant... His, his name was, in fact, the same, Sidney Smith-Lee. Yes, there you go. Which leads to a bit of confusion, because we, we are interested in our Sidney Smith-Lee. But, but whenever you search on the internet, you, you get the much more successful father. You yeah. do, you yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. And interestingly, so the father was the, uh, was the um, commandant of the US Naval Academy at, at Annapolis. Yes. And he, uh, of course, uh, resigned his commission and joined the Confederates... Uh, Navy, um, when the war started, Sydney's, our Sydney Smith Lee had a illustrious older brother too, Fitzhugh Lee. It's interesting. I wonder why the um, the was a second son who got the father's name because that, that's not generally the um, mm. the way these things work. Maybe there was a an illustrious older relative who needed to be appeased. But, uh, but there you go. yeah, so Fitzhugh was a in the army. He was the he was a major general and a governor. Of Virginia, and <clears throat> Sidney Smith Lee the second, or junior, or or our one. What did he do, Rob? Well, it's interesting. I don't think he's exactly the black sheep of the family, but um, he was the only one of the officers who had no actual experience in the U.S. Navy because he went off and joined the Merchant Marine. So he was a he was a trained and experienced seaman uh, before the um, before the start of. The but not a fighting sailor. But not a fighting sailor. On the other hand, uh, in the Merchant Marine, and, and, and that's a, actually a very odd career for a nephew of of Robert Robert E. Lee to take, and and the, the son. Well, of actually, the not just Annapolis. a nephew of Robert E. Lee, the son of the uh, commandant, yeah, the commandant Annapolis. Of, yeah, Annapolis. Yeah, very strange thing to have uh, to have happened. So um, maybe he wanted to make his own way in the world. Who knows? Yes, yes. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm sure uh, in the movie that would be played for Enigma and. Uh, you know, and uh, character development. And he was quite young, I believe, too. Oh, look, they, they all were. Um, yes. <clears throat> Thank you for asking me how young he was. Mob, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll bring that up in a, uh, in a, uh, in a amendment uh, next week. Uh, I don't have often. But yes, um, almost all of the officers um, were in their... Um, were in their early to mid-twenties. Oh, that's a bit like um, last week, Rob and I went and saw the movie Fury. Yes. And, uh, Which was a, a very good movie. Except everybody in it, except the kid, was 20 years too old. Yes, yes. That, I found that rather interesting at times. Oh, um, you know, uh, the the lead actor in it, Brad Pitt, is what, 50? He is 50. Yes, he, he actually, of course, doesn't look 50, but no. I'm not even sure Brad's human. But 
you know, he's just too uh, too perfect. But uh, the rest of them are all looked like they're in their thirties, didn't they? At least, yes, yeah, and and, and yes, the, the crews of tanks were in their late teens, early twenties. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, the crew of the Shenandoah, the, the officers of the Shenandoah, apart from Waddell, who was forty, um, were, were were by and large uh, in their early to mid twenties. Now, the I think we, I'm counting down the numbers here, or counting up the number of them. The fourth lieutenant, uh, Francis Thornton Chu. Um, he was interesting because he was basically one of those people who ran away to sea. Um, he uh, was inspired uh, by a novel regarding Commodore Matthew C. Perry's expedition to Japan in the early 1850s. And um, uh, Commodore Matthew Perry's expedition, um, I think, was the first to go to Japan. To Japan, yes, in, opened in, up in, Japan. In many, many years. Yeah. So it so was one of the starts of the great... Um, burst of Orientalism uh, that, that came into um, the Western world in the late 19th century and, and so inspired Van Gogh, Manet and uh, all sorts of other people who weren't Confederates, so we won't go much into that there. But um, so uh, Mr Chu said he read this, uh, read this book and um, yes, he said... Drugs lost all their charm. Now, I should point out that Mr. Chu was a pharmacy clerk. <laughs> so, so when he said drugs lost all their charm, he didn't mean that uh, you know, he, was, he was on the poppy and uh, on the laudanum. And, uh, you know, uh, it did mean that he worked in a pharmacy. Uh, but um, so he, he, he you know, decided that he, he wanted to run off to sea. Uh, mind you, he, um, he then had to use his acquaintance with a Missouri circuit judge to have his petition taken up by a congressman of that state. So again, despite the fact that he didn't come from a from a big planter family like the others, he he had some um, he had some twist and he used it and uh, you know he got he, himself a commission. Got himself a commission. Now the I think we're up. To and the Chews were also a, a planter family too, weren't they? I'm not sure. Um, well, look, look, certainly they they had some political influence. I think. Um, there was another of the officers who was uh, from a planter family, um, the rather splendidly named Debney Minor Scales, who I think, <laughs> you know, that, that might not be his name quite as bad as Major Major, but when somebody gives you a name like Minor Scales, yes, you know, I think that would be a joke that would get very, very old very, very quickly. Now, um, he was from a planter family. Um, I haven't done a whole lot more research about him other than that he's his rather splendid name, but I'm sure we can uh, get a bit more into him uh, as we go as we go forward. Um, so they were the the actual officers. Uh, the um, the medical the, the surgeon uh, was past surgeon Charles Lining, who was in fact a, a bit older uh, than the rest of them, mm-hmm. as you'd expect from a medico. He was 28. Now he'd had a, a rather interesting. Um, previous career. He'd been in the, in the Navy for a few years before the Civil War, but he went on a, a voyage um, on the USS Cyane, C-Y-A-N-E, right. which went around the tip of South America and into um, uh, to the Pacific Station, and that became a hell ship. There was feuding and drunkenness among the officers. And never a good thing. Never a good thing. And there were then a number of... Mer- Inquiries and commissions of inquiry, and presumably people being, um, yeah, cashiered, cashiered, very possibly. Or now, although Charles Lining was was not was not 
found guilty in any of that, I think that would have made him very sensitive as to the nuances. And we've already seen, we've already quoted from Lining um, when Waddell looked a bit dubious about continuing the voyage, Lining was was, 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 was on to that. Was there tut- tutting going on, do you there, think? There was tut-tutting going on. Um, now, the uh, another, the, the midshipman, John Thompson, Thomas Thompson Mason, um, now, Mason was adopted by his maternal grandfather, who again was a, a grandee of the Confederacy and who was a Mason who was um, almost taken prisoner by the, um, by the US um, in, on the Trent Affair. Ah, oh, he was when, the, yes. one of the uh, diplomats who yes. was going over to try and establish diplomatic relations with the French. That's exactly right. So, so okay, so yes, you're, so Waddell's midshipman was... Um, the adopted son, and fine, adopted son, but of his grandfather. So it wasn't like, uh, you know, um, of, yes, of basically the, the foreign the foreign ambassador to England of, of the Confederacy. Um, and then when we get down, so that was um, the officers and the midshipmen. I can, there's an omission there because there was another midshipman. I'll find out who he was. And then we get down to the petty officers. And it's interesting with the petty officers because the three main petty officers are Matthew Bryan, the engineer, Breedlove Smith, the paymaster, and acting master Irvine F.S. Bullock. They were all veterans of the Alabama. And Mm. uh, they'd all been with the Alabama when it sunk. And they'd been picked out of the water by um, a, a private British ship that was basically... Following the Alabama. sightseers, sightseers, yes, and uh, taken back to England. Um, so they were, in actual fact. Uh, so, so Matthew Bryan was was Irish, and it was pretty much a, the Irish, and particularly the Scots, basically were engineers on pretty much every boat across the world. So they, uh-huh. they go on warships of every navy. If, if you oh, right up to the USS Enterprise with Mister <laughs> Scott, there you go. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And uh, Breedlove Smith was the paymaster. And there's an interesting comment from um, Curry. It was, like all the paymasters in the Confederate Navy, he had no previous experience in the, in the US Navy, which means that basically when the Civil War started, every single paymaster in the US Navy went where the money was. <laughs> <laughs> and they looked at who paid their salary and they went... That's, that's very telling, isn't it? <laughs> I think very, very telling. I think it shows a, there's a certain class of people who become paymaster. And uh, so, yes, so, but um, he was a veteran of the Alabama, so he was a combat paymaster. Although, yes, the paymaster is, generally does not get end up being paid, played by Brad Pitt. And acting master Irvine S. Bullock, he was the younger half-brother of Commander James Bullock, Waddell's boss. So even one of the petty officers was the younger half-brother of Waddell's boss. So this was certainly a, a group of people who were from the, the highest levels of the Confederacy and presumably had, um, they, were, they were officers and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. They, they, regard their, they regarded their duty very, very highly. But I think you can also see that there's a lot of strong-willed people among that lot. And, and the members of Planter families, um, yeah, they, they like to have things their way and they were not slow in, in giving an opinion. So I think, I think it's fair to say that Waddell had his work cut out for him as captain. I think uh, it was not an enviable, enviable gig being, uh, being captain of, of that group of people. So, so now we've had an exposition, which is, yeah, 
lasted for two thirds of the episode. I'm sorry, Bob. So, but no, that's all right. Go. Well, yes, yes, just 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 call me Basil Exposition. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but uh, so in the. So where are we now? Where are we that's, now? That's, yes, that's another yes. uh, segment that we're planning to have, and yes. that is, where is the Shenandoah now? So on the 11th of November, which of course is Remembrance Day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, wasn't then, though. It wasn't then. That was, that was a war to come. Uh, the Shenandoah has uh, gloriously taken two prizes in oh. the last few days. Oh, my goodness. Uh, which we talked about in the last episode. Oh. If you remember the uh, the Charter Oak, which had the uh, the, the, the female prisoners, of, oh no, female prisoners, and the glorious booty of uh, tin tomatoes, tin lobster, and shea lunches. Oh yes. <laughs> so uh, we've now got to conjure the fact that we've got uh, all of our crew now in very comfortably ensconced on couches. In their in their cabins, with their writing bureaus, with their writing diaries. bureaus, yes. having a nice big bowl of tomato soup with uh, bits of lobster floating in it. Isn't that great? So, if I'm returning back to, and we're looking at uh, Shenandoah, a memorable cruise, which is the ship's log taken by William Whittle, the the first officer. Um, After these exciting events, on the 6th of November, um, they did lots and lots of... uh, no, actually, this was their glorious day of rest. They oh, finally, okay. after after two days, I think probably they were all so full of uh, tomato soup and lobster, they all had to just lie around lolling on their couches. Um, but on that day, the captain read the Articles of War. Oh. And this, of course, is a tradition that's done on, on warships. I remember reading in the uh, the Aubrey Maturin novels... Yes. Also, also in, in, in Hornblower, a, a lot is made of the Articles of War because there are like 40, 40 crimes a sailor can commit and the punishment for pretty much all of them is death, death. or death or flogging. <laughs> and I believe there's a cabin boy, cabin boy on the Shenandoah who was... Um, he gets flogged later, does he? No, no, no. The, the, um, the, I believe that... The, I'm not sure if, it's, if it comes in, in, the, in this, but I saw a reference that the first time Waddell read the Articles of War, the cabin boy, who, if you remember, was one of the first people who put up his hand <laughs> and said, yes, I'll join, sir. Uh, the cabin boy came up to Waddell you know, afterwards and said, there seems to be rather a lot of death in the Articles <laughs> of War. And, uh, you know, Waddell, I believe, smiled avuncularly and, uh, you know, because... It has to be said that cabin boys were very rarely put to death. So um, they had captured the Alina and the Charter Oak and yep. uh, taken the um, booty on board and the prisoners. Quite a few of the uh, prisoners they took um, decided to ship with them. Mm-hmm. Some of them didn't, but were given their parole. So they had to wait till they were going to be exchanged. They hadn't managed to take on board a ship's cook yet, which was a bit of a shame because on the 6th, there's an interesting thing here where... Uh, Whittle talks about how he ate a piece of rhubarb pie and accidentally swallowed a piece of the glass bottle in which the fruit had been preserved. Oh, dear. Um, Yes, I found out that the cook, instead of drawing the cork, had broken the neck off the bottle. And, you know, that's never going to end well, is it? When when your your cook can't be bothered pulling the cork out and is just smashing the top off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably one of the first things that they teach you in uh, in culinary school is uh, not not to break the bottle. So um, he took three strong emetics and uh, he then said his life was in God's hands. You know, he had to wait till it was uh, was passed through. 
Um, <clears throat> he said the emetics were very strong and active. So it's a good thing the Shenandoah had those flush toilets, Rob. Uh, yes. Uh, oh, sorry. I saw that joke coming from a mile away, Michael. <laughs> Yeah. Well, although but, but he wouldn't have needed all three flush toilets at once. Well, well, they were very strong. Well, although, on the other hand, there would only have been two for the re- whole rest of the officers, I'd say, for the entire day. Yes, he's... Well, he did say it was a glorious day of rest at ease, yes. He was probably yes. on the seat of ease. So, fortunately for him, um, he, he got clear of it and uh, was able to carry on. But I tell you, it would have been a very nervous time with uh, yes. a piece of glass inside your gut. Yes, um, yeah, it would, would not have been fun. And of course, in, in those well, in those days, it was the sort of thing that could kill you because there's no there's no X-rays to say where it is. There's no you know. So yes, if, it, if you bled internally, that that could be the end of you. But it was not the end of. Uh, Fortunately, it wasn't. No, um, the prolonged uh, prisoners were ordered to clean out the place where they and the rest of the prisoners were kept, and they positively refused. Oh. Now, the Geneva Convention didn't exist then, where <laughs> officers weren't allowed to work, but obviously there was some other thing where they didn't want to do it, so they had their paroles withdrawn and they were put in irons. Oh, dear, that bullets. So, uh, you know... Everybody's got to clean up a board ship. Yeah, I yeah. guess so. Everyone had to do their thing. So the next day, the 7th, um, they were in a dead calm and they noticed a bark up ahead. There you go. Now... In the old days, in the days of sail, you would then spend the next, you know, several days trying to catch up to it yes, uh, yes. in a dead calm, putting out every scrap of sail. What did they do in this case, Rob? I'd, I'd imagine Mr Matthew Bryan, the 27-year-old Irish engineer, um, put down the propeller. Roused out the propeller. Yes. Yep. So they rousted out the propeller and... Sorry, do you roust out the propeller or do you rouse, rouse it in? I'm sorry, I'm... I'm... Um, actually, you technically you lower it because remember yeah. it's up on the deck yes, and yeah, they, yeah. they popped it in. So they, they lowered the propeller and made chase and came up with her within an hour, which has totally changed the way uh, warfare was done. And they ran up the English flag. The oh. other ship ran up the Yankee flag. Oh. Which made them very happy. So um, they made it hove to with a blank cartridge. And the reason why they made it hove to with a blank cartridge is because... They had no real ones. They couldn't really fire any real guns at this stage. Um, The captain and the mate were then uh, brought over with their papers. And it says here, and I hadn't come across this before, they assembled their usual board of examiners and put the captain on oath. So they're actually doing all of this absolutely by the book, trying to show that they are not pirates. Yeah, I, I think the captains would probably think it's something of a kangaroo court, though. I yes. Yeah. So it was the the prize was the American bark, the D. Godfrey, which was thirty days from Boston and bound for Valparaiso. Unfortunately, the cargo was a large quantity of pine lumber. Well, that's not going to be good for any, any good for anybody. Not particularly useful. So. Um, they took some of it, and they took some very nice rope, which was something else they were fairly short of. Uh, but they and, still needed tackles. And they fired the prize. So, in other words, they Ooh. set it alight and, and sunk it. Well, the pine lumber would have gone up very well. So, um, they had... Uh, that's their third prize in less than ten days. So, the trip has actually started fairly gloriously. Yeah, that's not too bad. Um, there were ten souls all on board. The captain, two mates, six seamen, and a black steward 
and uh, to Whittle's great joy, five of the seamen and the steward chipped, and he writes, they are all good and young men, and the steward is the very man I want for ship's cook, probably because the steward indicated that when he opened bottles, he didn't <laughs> smash them on the sides, he, he pulled out the cork. So they now have uh, 60 souls on board. So I think they started with around 40, because at the start they had about 20 officers and 20 men. Yep. So they managed to recruit another 20 men, but that is still 90 short of fighting weight. And two of those are actually women, don't forget, and one is a small boy who Whittle points out, despite the fact that uh, they were Yankees, um, (laughs) he gives three cheers for Jeff Davis every day. So, obviously, they've turned the, the little kid's head round there. <laughs> then he notes that all prisoners except the captains are in irons. So, obviously, not everything is happy. So, they've got a bit of a problem. When you start taking these prizes and bringing on board prisoners, what do you do with them? Mm. Well, If they're going to ship and, and join your crew, well, that's, that's great. But if uh, some of them, such as the uh, Captain Staples, the real down-east Yankee, as he was described, want nothing to do with it, what do you do with them? You, they give their paroles, but then when you ask them to clean up their room, they oh, refuse. They're worse than teenagers. Yes. Oh. So they've got a bit of a problem here. And the problem is solved the very next day, or in fact the day after, the 9th of uh, November. On the 9th of November, they encountered another ship which they uh, checked out. Even though it was a Yankee-built ship, it was Danish. There you go. It was flagged Danish. So they were able to convince the captain of this brig to um, take some of their prisoners. Some of them, not all of the prisoners. I, I, I thought, the, I thought the, the, the female prisoners, for instance, stayed on board till Melbourne. The female prisoners stayed on board. They did not want to go. So obviously these, they took one look at the Danes well, <laughs> and thought, yes. we're going to pass up on that. Thank you very much. Oh, yes. I, don't, I don't want to be racist, but you know, they have socialism over there, don't they? Yes. Yeah. So, so what happened is only, uh, only eight of the Yankees went over. So I think the, the most troublesome of their prisoners were sent over. On the other hand, um, perhaps it wasn't that big a ship anyway that they were sending them off to. And as a gesture, they also sent them a chronometer. Yes. Some bread in a... Uh, sorry, some bread and a barrel of beef. Well, I think if you have to... If, if the ship's so small that you have to provide food to feed to feed the prisoners you're sending over, yeah, that, that's an indication, yeah. You can't really load a, load a ship up. Absolutely, up to the gunwales. So um, they've managed to get rid of some of their uh, most troublesome prisoners, including the real down-east Yankee Captain Staples, and they've managed to recruit a few more crew. They've now got uh, somebody who knows how to cook and not smash the tops of bottles off, so that yes. must make them very happy. Presumably uh, the, uh, the steward from the other ship was telling them about all the wonderful recipes he has for doing great things with tomatoes and, 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 and lobster. lobster. And, lobster yes. and they've taken three prizes in ten days. Three prizes. So in many respects... Oh, and this is, of course, without firing uh, a, a shot in, in harm or anyone being hurt or whatever. So... But is, 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 that going to, is that going to get them when they get around to the Arctic? True, they true. They might be able to do this in the Atlantic, but uh, are they going to... And, do they, and of course, they've also uh, 
turned the head of the uh, the small boy who now says three cheers for Jeff Davis all yes, day but long. I don't know that he's got a future as a Confederate <laughs> officer. There you go. Well, that was. Uh, so, so, despite the fact that we had a fair bit of excitement last week, still, um, yeah, uh, so, so, some, some things happened this week. We, we, we might try next week to have perhaps not quite so much competition, <coughs> but uh, at least now when we're talking about uh, the various officers, um, we know a little bit about who they are. So um, I believe next uh, this week you're going to be um, retracing some of the um, some of the voyage of the Shenandoah. Yes, Michael's going to Perth and coming back, which is. Um, the Shenandoah travelled between uh, Perth and Melbourne as well, although the Shenandoah did travel on uh, the sea and you are travelling in a camper van. So there are some differences. I'm, fly- I'm <laughs> flying there and driving back. There you go. There it's, you a, go. It's, a, it's an interesting story I'll save for when I'm back. <laughs> Maybe, though, I might have to do next week's episode on the road. I'm not sure. We'll see. Well, that, that, that might be, a, uh, yes, that might be a, a, a new thing for the books. So... Um, with that in prospect, uh, this has been Shenandoah Down Under or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales with Rob and Mob, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. I'm Mob. And we're out till next week. See you next week. Goodbye.